song you just heard is Dog of War by the Hell Yeah Babies, which means I'm Nick Bond. I'm David Gibb. And this is how Wrestling Explains. Sensational episode today, Dave. Yes, also uh, sensuous and, and witchy, perhaps. And sister? Sister Cherry Martell? Yeah, I, 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 there's a lot of different names for Sherry Martell, who's the person we're going to be speaking about this episode. She's one of our favorites from the Hulkamania era. Uh, But before we get into the Hulkamania era, I think you have to understand where Sherry came from, and that's from the Moolah school team troupe. I I don't know exactly what you'd call it, but that that fabulous Moolah traveling circus of ladies wrestlers. You actually wrote a piece about a year ago, right, Uh, on Moolah and uh, her, I'm putting this in air quotes, because uh, that's good radio, contributions to the business. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, just coming up on a year ago next week, I uh, had a piece for the wrestling estate about the fabulous Moolah. That was at the time they were still doing the the Battle Royal at WrestleMania. It still had her name on it. And uh, my, my column was one of, I'll say several uh, at the time. I mean, some from platforms much bigger than mine, but I'll share the credit because that's how I work. Uh, I, uh, but, but, but the WWE ultimately reversed course. But so if you're interested in, uh, in learning more, uh, check out the wrestling estate. Uh, the column is from, uh, March 13th of 2018 and it's called here's why WWE honors fabulous moolah. It just touches on sort of how she operated and how women's wrestling, uh, at large operated from, you know, the 1940s, uh, from the kind of wartime era where a lot of men are away. So, so more women's wrestling starts to be promoted. And then in the fifties where, you know, a lot of the main events were, were the women's matches, they were huge draws then and transitioning up to the period where she would have been working with Sherry that, that, that we're talking about. So definitely check out the piece at the wrestling estate, but to summarize it for you, she's a bad person. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple, there's like economic reasons why she's a bad person in terms of the, the, distorting effect that monopolies can have on progress. Like we always talk about wrestling as an allegory or like a microcosm or some sort of perfect example of capitalism. Uh, She is the perfect example of why monopolies in particular are bad. Cause she basically ruled women's or again, ladies wrestling for go 30 years, essentially the mid century. She was the name in women's wrestling. And because of that, uh, she was able to basically blackball or veto anything that had, would would or wouldn't happen in American women's wrestling. Uh, she had she ruled with an iron grip and um, did a lot of really terrible things. But like out inside the ring, she also helped completely stunt the progress of women's wrestling in ways that they're just recovering from right now, like literally today. Yeah, definitely. I tweeted out a little clip on uh, Twitter earlier today as we're recording this of one of the matches we'll be talking about in Essential Viewing uh, tomorrow for the listeners. But but it struck me kind of watching some more of her wrestling recently that it's like, wow, yeah, she really was determined to bring everybody down to her level. And when you watch her have matches with people and like as the heel and the champion, traditionally, she's always calling the match. Uh, like you can... You can see that she was a very intelligent and very canny, but also like a very malicious operator. I mean, I, I know that like, you know, some, some folks have come out of the woodwork in the last year with a lot of this controversy to really defend her. And then one person wanted to debate me on another podcast and I politely uh, declined. Uh, but, but I mean, these, like, it, this is video evidence. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about, you know, did she pimp people out? to rich businessmen in areas. I'm not talking about stuff like that, the worst of the stuff. You know, I'm not talking about starving people out and keeping them poor so they're dependent on you, so the only place they have to live is a trailer park uh, that you own. Like, I'm not I'm not talking about any of that stuff. I'm just talking about what you can see with your eyeballs, which is that she was someone who wanted to keep women's wrestling at her level into her 50s and 60s. Yeah, she is like if Hulk Hogan also was... And uh, essentially an evil person and not just an asshole that was difficult to work with. Like it is frightening what she is alleged to have done or not even alleged, but pretty, but it seems very likely did. Uh, she, she is probably the most, the, the worst non murderer in the history of wrestling. Uh, 
it's really bad. There's nothing that you can look at. And the reason we're talking about this with Sherry, Sherry's career would be completely different if she had, if Fabulous Moolah didn't exist. I, I feel very, it feels very likely that Sensational Sherry could have found her way into wrestling. And the fact that she was held back in so many ways, and we are definitely talking about this in the next episode, uh, by Moolah directly and indirectly, it's, it's really incredible to think about where women's wrestling would be. Cause you look at Japan, which didn't have Mula completely controlling everything. And Japan's professional wrestling was considered the gold standard for much of the nineties by a lot of prominent wrestling thought leaders. Let's call them. I know in particular, uh, Dave Meltzer is one of the most prominent people who really championed Joshi wrestling, which if you watch, is basically cruiserweight wrestling. They treat it like it's a different weight class, like not like it's a different species of wrestling. And that's where you're getting to now. But ladies wrestling was treated like it was a completely different thing than the wrestling you were watching. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, Manami Toyota, who I think is kind of the, the halcyon image of, you know, Dave Meltzer, All Japan Women's Early 90s Wrestling. I mean, she was like 20 years younger than Sherry. So I think that everything we say in this episode of the next, it really is kind of like, there's this tinge of like just tragedy over it that she was just kind of born in the wrong place at the wrong time. Because like, if you, if you like listen to podcasts or YouTube shoot interviews and stuff like that, every wrestler who ever met Sherry only has either good things to say about her or funny things to say about her. Like it's, it's kind of one, it's like an Owen Hart thing where it's like, it's rare to find people in the wrestling business that nobody has anything bad to say about it. Her coworkers, her peers so badly wanted their, to be more for her to do. It was very similar with like Medusa. She was another person where she was like very universally respected and everybody was just like hurting for her at the time that like there wasn't something for her. And I think that really hangs over all of Sherry that, you know, at least she accomplished a great deal as a manager, which we'll talk about more, but certainly as a wrestler, like wrong place, wrong time, wrong year. Yeah, because you watch her bump against the men and against the women too. She looks great against both in different ways she is able to carry segments with female wrestlers who are less talented than her sapphire is one that comes to mind moolah is another one that comes to mind in a way that made them seem like they were actually able to perform in ways they weren't and against the men she was as good as any man that she was up against in terms of putting on a show was she as good a technical wrestler as like the dynamite kid? No, but she like looked great coming off the top rope. She was a very good wrestler who probably would have become great if actually given the opportunity to perform in a way that wasn't the equivalent of trying to wrestle with one leg and one arm tied behind your back, which is basically what you're talking about when you're talking about Mula's style of wrestling and not just Mula's style of wrestling, but, in the sense of like, oh, it was uh, low impact, stuff like that. I mean, in the sense that Mula went out of her way in matches to not make anybody else look good. And you see it a lot in this the stuff you get to see of Sherry, which is very minimal because of people like Mula. I know we keep coming back to Mula. It's really important to understand before we get into anything else that Sherry should have been the best woman re best woman's wrestler of her generation and not by default if that makes sense like there's a, probably an argument to be made uh, in terms of american wrestling she was the best worker but she, you don't know because she never worked with anybody else so it's really or anybody else meaningfully like rockin robin i believe was her biggest opponent you're really talking about just an era of wrestling that is lost for women's wrestling in a lot of ways. Maybe not as bad as the early 90s got in America, but like it's pr it's probably about the same. I I maybe worse because I can't really think of any prominent women's wrestlers. There's actually a joke in South Park Re uh, Regional Wrestling about how they have a women's wrestler and no one for her to wrestle. Like it's a real problem. There's just no competition. Oh yeah, definitely. I also want to quickly correct myself. Manami Toyota was born in 1971 and Sherry was born in 1958. So it's more like 15 years between them, not 20. But I still... But that's still, that's a whole generation. Yeah, that, in terms of wrestling, that's a generation. Sorry, I just wanted, I, I didn't want the math, the birthday police to, to come for me. <laughs> that's how they get you, but, but, the birthday police. But no, I, I think it, Sherry really did make lemonade out of lemons or the wrestling one is always, you know, chicken salad out of chicken shit, right? And the, I, 
she wasn't really in a position to thrive as a wrestler, but she, I think she learned a lot of things that were really important from that time as a wrestler who was really struggling to get her due. Because as you said, when you saw her with the men, it's like she could really take bumps and really sell. Yeah. I still, I, I used to think, I used to say that she and Rick Rude were tied for best atomic drop. When they would take the atomic drop, Rude would like pucker and kind of buckle his knees and like really, really sell that this person's knee had like gone up his ass. Like, like, like Rude would really suck. But I mean, she would take the atomic drop and then like land on her feet, fly forward and fall on her face. And she did this bump once when she was, when she was Peggy Sue. So she's wearing this like big poodle skirt and she's wearing like you know, two or three skirts and they like go flying every direction. She was an incredible bump taker. And so while she didn't get a chance, the chance maybe that she deserved to get her full just due as a wrestler, she got really good at, at getting her ass kicked and what understanding which bumps got the good reactions. Cause I think that she was really one of the masters of like only doing the stuff that she was good at. And I think that that speaks to a lot of practice and a lot of intelligence. And even if you're looking at the lights or even if you're, you know, struggling to get over professionally and really get your just due, I think that she was someone who psychologically made super good use of all that time and experience. Essentially what you're describing is somebody who wrestles like a manager. Like she did a great job of selling out completely when the person she was annoying or sorry, the person she was being an antagonist to along with her charge, they she was able to take the bumps and make them look good without making them look like the guy hitting her was a bad guy for hitting her. Like she got into it in a way that it was like, well, no, you would have to like push her at the very least. She's trying to beat the shit out of you. She could really get after people in a way that felt like she was scrapping with them at the level that Elizabeth couldn't. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, definitely. And I mean, when you hear wrestlers talk about her, I think she certainly like got what was hers. Like she, she, she gave you what you needed to, to really get after her when you came back. You know what I mean? That, that a part of being a great heel is kind of, you know, helping the baby face get fired up. And maybe some of that involves like hitting them pretty stiff in the head with a shoe or whatever. She's particularly great at embodying a certain kind of um, heelishness in a way that allowed her to, in the same way a Bobby Heenan would or a Jim Cornette would, make someone bad pretty quickly. <laughs> we will get into the Ric Flair sting bit in a, in a minute. But I wanted to start with uh, Randy Savage and him splitting from Elizabeth to join Sensational Sherry. And what that meant was a real sea change in terms of how people could interact with Macho Man. Like, a Macho Man always had Liz to uh, round out, like, sand down his edges, and now, basically, Sherry had set those edges on fire, so now you have, like, a flaming sword coming at you. It was a way different dynamic than what you had with Elizabeth. Yeah, definitely. I think if you go all the way back in the archives to, to, to the prehistoric era of about a year ago, uh, there's, there's the Will They, Won't They episode, and uh, in there, we talked about how, you know, um, Savage and Liz are, are really important because of their contrast. And it's like, there was this thing where it's like, they're together, but you don't really understand their relationship. It's very, like, confusing. You're like, I don't know, like, are these people having sex? I can't tell. But like with Sherry and Savage, you're like, yeah, they're having sex a lot. <laughs> you know, there's a very, totally different dynamic. The Savage... And Liz had that like strapped down tension and like Sherry and Macho had the like exploding out in every direction, like literally like their hair, like when she's the witch queen Sherry, she has the big teased out hair and she wears like the big cowls up behind her head that are all pointed and stuff. Like they're literally exploding out at you in every direction. Unlike the, the Liz who was like the regulator, like she was so strapped down that she, she made the wild man human, but it's like, no, 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 no. Now there's none of that. There's this like evil witch lady. And now he's got this like fried going in every direction hair. Yeah. He's not the macho man where he's like still has some of his like humanity left. He's the macho king, which means he's completely gotten rid of the man. and is now just like this ruler character, this 
monster heel in the sense of he's just made more powerful by this abandonment of the rules of caring about what society or what you would call the WWE thinks uh, universe thinks he's he really there's an internal change not in the character like you said Elizabeth is a governor and Sherry is an enabler like she enables the worst parts of Savage to come out and just be a bad person who ruins a lot of things like he really is a much more destructive character. I mean, he was a destructive character when he was originally uh, Majo Man, when he first, like when he broke uh, Ricky Steamboat's larynx and, and a bunch of other terrible shit he did. Uh, he really set the tone and then came back to Earth and then this just blew, Sherry just blew him into the stratosphere. She got him to a place where he and Zeus existed in the same universe. You know what I mean? Like, one thing that's crazy is that, like, she, she made Zeus kind of believable, or at least, like, believable in a monster of the weak kind of way. Like, she really had responsibility of, of getting over a guy who wasn't really a wrestler, who had portrayed a wrestler in a bad movie and and turning that into a main event. I mean, it's not like just that she was like, I don't know, like Percy Pringle, like Paul Bearer, you know what I mean? Who was a manager who really enhanced the gimmick and you could do some finishes that involved him or you could do some distractions that involved him. But like, she was an actual main event manager in a way that like the three wise men from the WWF, she could take an actor who was in a bad movie and make him a main eventer, especially when she was also managing Savage. Uh, I'd like to, um, I, I'm sorry to do this. Uh, I'd like to make a second correction on Dave's behalf. No Holds Bar is a great movie. I don't know what you're talking about. What's that smell like? <laughs> Yuki. <laughs> the following announcement has been You want to know something, brother? Over the last week or two, the Twitter followers have been exploding over at HWETW Pod, and the YouTube views have been blasting off at how wrestling explains the world on YouTube, brother, but we still got some work to do. I'm known as a fella who loves to celebrate Jack. You know deep down I want to pose and cut my ear just as bad as you little explainomaniacs want to see it. But you see, little splainsters, we got a problem, dude. If we're going to spread the word, grow the brand, and build an army daddy, we need the power of the explainomaniacs to burst forth in exaltation of the greatness, brother. What I need is for each and every one of you little explainomaniacs to get out your mobile devices, dude. Navigate to How Wrestling Explains on iTunes Pod, Jack. Then drop a five-star review like the world's heaviest leg and help HWETW run wild all over the internet. Your five-star review helps connect us with new listeners, build the HWE brand, and flex the 24-inch pythons for potential advertisers, brothers. This is where the power of Explainomania lies, little Explainomaniacs, in your own hands. And in order for Explainomania to keep on rumbling into Q2 of 219, we need your support. Rate and review before the rage of Explainomania runs wild on you. That's something you would see, something you could see Bobby Heenan doing, or now uh, Paul Heyman doing, or Paulie Dangerously uh, closer to that time, or a, uh, God, uh, Jim Cornette doing, where they could really make somebody into a force just by their sheer presence. Like, in terms of the managers of the 80s, she's she doesn't have the portfolio of, people but she is one of the great managers of that era in terms of her importance to the card and her gravity of like if she was with somebody they were a bad guy until basically Janetti. like Janetti in the early 90s changes that a little bit but like even then her history says no she's still gonna go with Shawn Michaels over Marty Jannetty. He's Marty Jannetty and the other guy is Shawn Michaels. Like, why are we even having this discussion? It turns out he was such an ass. Shawn Michaels is such an asshole. I know, shocking. <laughs> he, uh, that they moved, uh, like, they, not in real life, but in the in the show, they have her joined with Jannetty. But, like, outside of that, it's like, it would be like expecting Bobby Heenan to be the good guy. Like, she 
meant that this character was now a heel and not like a heel in the sense that he's not Hulk Hogan's best friend anymore, but a heel in the sense that he's the bad guy now or one of the bad guys. Yeah, definitely. It's, 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 I would compare, yeah, you said Heenan is really the, the great call. Like he's the, he's, he really is her contemporary. And I think they are, they are worthy contemporaries. You know what I mean? That it's like that you, I don't know, a, a lesser, a lesser manager couldn't even exist in the same company as Bobby Heenan. You know what I mean? They would just be worthless and totally not memorable. But the fact that he's doing his stuff with like Andre, you know what I mean? And, and she's doing her stuff with, with Macho Man and with Ted DiBiase and stuff like pretty much, you know, around the same time of that, like she's, she is walking next to the all-time great and casting a shadow of approximately the same length. It's really impressive. Yeah, she is, I would put her in the pantheon of managers. And and you see it with the Abbott DiBiase, you see it with Savage, you see it with Michaels. They're all these characters that really work with her established sensational character, but they also are, like Michaels is made to feel legit by Sherry's presence and interest in him. It makes him feel like he's really made it somewhere because she doesn't deal with losers. It also it, it, it also turned him into the sexy boy. Like her yeah. fixation on him, like, yeah, like you said, kind of gave, gave him the personality change that changed him from being a guy into a tag team to being the main eventer of the next five-year stretch. Yeah, she doesn't... I don't want to say that he she got him there in the sense that she was the reason he ended up he would eventually became a main eventer. She gave him a shortcut. She actually like gave him a boost up a level in a way that is really hard for a manager to do because usually people on those trajectories like the manager can come in and like bump them off course. There's a lot of things that can go wrong with a manager, but when you have someone like Sherry who just understands her role in the larger context of the show and in an individual match. She is exceptional at a lot of things. She's a great seller. She's great at the manager background work of, you know, distracting and and stuff like that. But she's also particularly great at making you understand why the person she's with is doing the thing she's doing. She's really good at like antagonizing her, her her uh, charges, I keep calling them charges, her clients, that's the word I'm looking for, her clients to get to that next level. Like she is helping to compel them because she, do, again, she doesn't like deal with losers. We'll talk about Harlan Heat in a minute. She has won, led them to seven championships. Like she does not mess around. She really gets results. When she came to WCW, she said, I want a person who can win a championship. Like she always establishes, I'm looking for the best talent. She was unique in that, you know, the, the managers like Keenan or uh, like an, uh, JJ Dillon, like the, the, they always portrayed that what they brought to the table was like backroom dealing, that they were like somehow these like strategists. Same with Cornette, right? It's like, oh, he comes up with all their strategies. He, he comes up with all their moves, even though he's not an athlete, which was partially true. Uh, but like, but, but with her, it had nothing to do with that. There was never like, oh, Sherry's going to the title board and getting someone, you know, a, a, t- a title shot because they've won their last four matches. Like, it wasn't like that. It was like when Sherry was with an act, they felt confident because she was the, she was the bad bitch. Like, she was just like the fucking power woman that like, if you were with her, it was fucking status. Like, like the implied sexual relationship that wrestlers and their valets have aside, like she was a powerful woman who didn't mess around with dudes who, who weren't up to snuff. Yeah. She is easily the most powerful female character that the WWE had until Stephanie McMahon. Like, I don't think anybody's close. She was in control of entire sections of, like, you didn't want to cross Sherry, because the thing with Sherry, and it's different than, uh, especially different than Heenan, who took bumps, and, and a J.J. Dillon, who did nothing, uh, that Sherry would actually fuck you up if you got in her way, in a way that Heenan couldn't do that. Like, she was an actual 
physical threat in a way those other managers weren't. And it's partially because she wasn't allowed to be a woman's wrestler because there's no competition. She's basically just like hitting home runs. And it's like, she's hitting home runs. It's a major league ballpark. I don't know what to tell you. Nick, I, I think that when we get into the pod beyond in the, the coming months, I think you will discover that J.J. Dillon runs into a hell of an hell. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, I mean, I've seen the first war games where he just was like, I don't want to do this anymore. So I'm... He's doing the hella gully. <laughs> yeah, and, and Sherry's physical talent, to me, one of the quintessential examples, and something that really shocked me, especially the amount of different angles they showed it, is the spot, uh, speaking of Shawn Michaels, where Shawn Michaels and Marty Marty Jannetty comes back and he does the mirror spot with Shawn Michaels and he goes to hit Shawn Michaels with the mirror and Shawn pulls Sherry in front of the mirror and Marty just destroys Sherry. But if you watch, Sherry leans into the shot. It's like... She's just like, no, we are making this look good because this is a money angle. and I understand what's at stake. Like, I understand I have to make this look good for this angle to work. Yeah, definitely. Old time, old, old time pro wrestler instincts. <laughs> I mean, and they show it from like four or five different angles. So you really understand like the first time you're like, oh man, that's a good, like that made that look good. And you realize like they show a back angle where they clearly show Shawn Michaels, grab her by the arm and throw her in front of it. But she like is moving laterally and moves forward into the mirror to take the bump. It's, she was such a physical marvel. She like, really, there are some bumps she takes where you're just like, how are you this good? And how did no one figure out how to make money with you as an actual in-ring wrestler? Yeah, you know, you describing that reminds me of a few weeks ago when we were talking about the BWO. We talked about, you know, Raven and how the idea is like, well, Raven is a killjoy who like his own lackeys just want to have fun, but he like forces them to be bad. And I think you had a similar effect here once again where like, she really enhanced Sean of like, not only is Sean self-centered now because she pays attention to him. It's like, no, no, no. Now Sean is even more in love with himself. Like she's created a monster that's bigger than herself. Yeah. And he's such an evil dick that I mean, like, even though she's a heel and guys will give her an atomic drop, like, you know what I mean? It, it, she's still a woman and he just like throws her into getting obliterated. Yeah, exactly. Especially in the context of the time, she's still like a woman. Like she's still not an. At the very least, she is not a a wrestler. Like even if you wanted to remove it from a gender, which I don't think you can, especially in the context of the time. But even if you want to, she's a manager. That's a fucked up thing to do to your manager, especially when it's your beef. Like that's not. There are a lot of things, and there are a lot of ass kicking that are, are the manager's job. But like you throwing them in front of the bus is fucked up like I, I and i understand that's supposed to their heels it's supposed to be eventually the relationship which is why it doesn't work for either party but it's really like it's messed up what he does and she sells it like she's dead it's it's a really like a high there's a reason it's one of the most remembered spots that that feud in particular is one of the most remembered feud and that spot and the the paralleled um barbershop window spot are considered like two of the great spots of that era yeah definitely and once again it's like she's just kind of i mean i don't want to say quietly because she she played a really big role in it but she's just like woven throughout the fabric of wrestling from like 85 to whatever 99 basically like she is just like really in there and and she's always doing good stuff i mean some of the later wcw stuff like less so you know what i mean but it's like when you when you look at kind of like who the players were and what the most memorable stuff was like sherry's either there or adjacent to it for like a 15 year stretch yeah she is the first she's a true pioneer for women in the main event as an understanding that it'd be kind of like uh, centers have to be seven foot if they're not seven foot you can't do it she's like the draymond green where it's like no if you have a good enough performer they can play a, a physical performer who understands the business well enough you can have them play at this level regardless of the differences in size or perceptions you can make 
her feel like she's up on the level of everybody else because she is on the level of everybody else. And maybe all pound for pound is better. Like she was as good a performer as they had on the roster the entire time she was in WWF, as far as I can tell. And, and for most of her, the beginning of her run through the Colonel stuff, I think in WCW. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, when she came to WCW, like Ric Flair, like put her over like immediately. I think she uh, was it when they were still doing Flair for the gold. It might have been just after that. But I mean, like her first TV appearances are like alongside Ric Flair. And when he's cutting promos, he's like putting over because I think at the time he had her and woman who would come out to the ring with him. But like like she once again, it was like the biggest, most definitive WCW wrestler was just immediately like. Yeah, yeah, Sherry's here now, and and she's yeah. She, (laughs) the fact that she was used to turn to like as this is the time. Let me say, you know, a baby face, a nice guy can trust people and make a few mistakes. This was the I think this was the like she was involved in maybe the breaking of Sting. Yeah, the uh, the time where. Lucy moves the ball one time too many and you're just like I I've I've lost sympathy for you Charlie Brown and also this is gonna hurt in a couple of years you're not gonna realize it you're just gonna snap like that (laughs) (laughs) that is that is essentially what happened is like this happens in what 94 or something like that Sting starts to go crazy in 95, and the 96, when people stop, he realizes he can't trust anybody. He really does go off the deep end, and he leaves for a year. Like, I'm not saying, like, there's a direct line, but there's really this, like, cavalcade of stuff that happens to Sting, and Sherry as, like, another... It's almost like she appeared in a like a cameo in Godfather Two. Do you know what I'm saying? We're like, oh, shit. oh yeah, I know. Her her involvement in that match. It's not it's not on the rough draft of essential viewings that we've roughed out. But maybe we should talk about that one too. That uh, that Flair Sting match because she's heavily involved, especially in the finish late in that match physically. And in terms of both dishing it out and taking it, it's like once again, it's like. Everything that she's involved in, she's involved with like the top people of her era. And she is like, she's always step for step right there with them. Like I, I, there's like, there's a spot in this match where she, I think she gives Sting a crossbody, I think. And it's like, but it's one of the things where it's a, you can kind of watch that. It's like, oh, well, she's not the one who made that spot look awkward. Like that was Sting. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, she, she in that match that they ultimately have where she turns is, is, as important to that match is Ric Flair. Yeah, she... I, I, we really can't emphasize this enough. She was the be- one of the best workers on the card. So the fact that, like, in terms of crowd response, in terms of, like, making stuff look good and selling, she was one of the top people on the card every time. She really was the total package as a performer. So the idea that they could use her as a role player, essentially, is, I keep using sports analogies, but it's really like having a Cy Young winner as your fourth pitcher. You can just do stuff with her that you can't do with other people because there's not the expectation of her having to get over directly in a traditional sense so she can do a lot of terrible shit and really get the like the the level of heat up without i'm i don't know what the best way to put this without making it all about her she was so good at getting the heat at the last second and literally like redirecting it to her and it, the in a literal sense that's what you're seeing with the michaels and, and with the flare stuff, she's actually a catalyst for these things in a way that most managers are. Again, you're talking about Bobby Heenan and maybe Paul Heyman. That's really it. Like Cornette, Camp Cornette got to that level. where And maybe DiBiase's Million Dollar found, uh, like Corporation. But like really those are like dust in the wind relative to... Sherry is like a, a, like a, a full planet around which there should there is an atmosphere and an orbit like she is that level of important in the history of this and you see time and time again with these like key turns in the history of wrestling where she's playing this major role because she's 
uh, playing so high above her ex, like her allotted time. Like she makes the most of her. I don't know how to explain it. I, I'm rambling a little bit, Dave. No, I think Jim Ross would say, Nick, that she maximizes her minutes. Yes, that is the exact way to put it. She was given, she's like her per per 48 measurement, uh, like stats would be off the charts, but they never really made her work a full thing. So she never got a chance to be overexposed and have all the stuff she does, all the heat she generates be like, okay, we've seen this before. No, definitely. Exactly. Like you were, I was joking kind of earlier about her being, you know, a heater for for Zeus but it's like frankly this is gonna be the only time anybody's ever compared Ric Flair to Zeus frankly like she had kind of a similar role or a not totally dissimilar role with Flair it's like Flair comes back from WWF after like a year and a half of we want Flair and it's like everybody's so freaking happy to see him and then after a couple months of Flair for the gold it's like okay it's time for him to get back in the ring it's like against Sting you need Flair to be a strong heel and you need that finish to be a strong heel finish because like you can't have the crowd behind, you can't have the crowd split babyface, babyface, Flair and Sting going into that finish or that finish is just somebody getting screwed with their pants on and it sucks. Like you need the people to dislike Ric Flair. You need for him to have some heat and the Sherry turn gets him that and prevents an audience, a WCW audience who loves Ric Flair to their core, it prevents them from cheering him and ensures that they have sympathy for, for Sting, who's getting screwed. Like I said, maybe for one time too many. But like it, it's, it, it's incredible, like you said, that she just keeps getting plugged into these situations where like they need someone to, to, to really bring some heat to a particular main event match or to really help change the way people think about a character and just her batting average is like a thousand in these moments they can elevate a performer to the next level and you definitely see that with her role as sister sherry in harlem heat like that legitimizes booker t into a much 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 lesser extent stevie ray her presence with them makes them for real makes them like one of the real candidates for team of that the best tag team of that era just by booker or i should say most successful tag team of that era just by virtue of booker t and her brilliance like cv ray was there and he helped out but it's really those two having a dynamic where she can enter cut with stevie ray to equal almost like one booker t because book young booker t is uh, like a, a another pantheon performer we were definitely having a booker t episode at some point probably relatively soon hopefully uh booker t is amazing and her as the like old point guard who is there to get this this like mind-blowingly talented guy to that level where he can be a single star and a real force in the industry you can see it from very early on where she's helping him out and where she's adding to places where Stevie Ray can't get to. Yeah, and you know, one there's there's like some subtle things in wrestling. She got all new gear when she started managing them. She yeah. had she had like five different flame outfits. I remember there was like a onesie where it was kind of a pair of bell bottoms and then like a halter top and then she had like a tight fitting dress and then she had like a like a pleather kind of jacket. Like she had all this different flame gear made when she managed them and once again it's just like really really legitimizing someone like here's someone who you know is great who you know has been involved in main events and look how seriously they're taking this act that's right in the middle right now that's right in the middle like it, it's it's it, it's just like uh it, it's it's like priming the pump you know what i mean it, it's taking something from the main event that really really works and moving it down the card just a little but not in a way that diminishes it in a way that raises everything else that it's associated with and i don't mean to call sherry an it there <laughs> I, this is a very praise heavy episode i think we're kind of in awe of like how good sherry is she's not the there are things she doesn't do well she's not the best promo i don't think she's she gets an she gets an emotion across yeah. i would say but she she isn't the most like yeah if she talks for three minutes straight it's not like flair or dusty or even terry funk where it's like all this kind of like rambling gold like that's definitely not her strength but she always got across the the main ideas and at least 
an expositional way, which like, if you look back at some of the Hogan era and early nineties stuff, like a lot, like maybe 30 to 40% of wrestlers couldn't do like, <laughs> you know, and, and she could at least do that. And, and the other thing she was particularly great at, great at is being the, this is kind of in line with what we talked about earlier. She was really good at like egging on a like Macho King promo. Like, yes, King! And shit, like just hype man shit. Like, oh, yeah, especially uh, you were talking about she had great chemistries, particularly with Stevie Ray, where like you said, Booker would talk in longer, un, like uninterrupted promo, but like Stevie and her had this great like back and forth, like, like improv comedians who've been working together for like five years kind of vibe yeah it's really funny the wedding that they do uh, which is um it's not great but there's an interaction they're interacting this, was, this is the last day of 1980s wrestling nick the last day of 1980s wrestling this- before the w before the nwo just you know rips us all into the 21st century yeah, we forced ourselves to watch it so that you guys could also watch it and suffer with us uh we will be talking about it next episode but their interactions with each other are really like again it makes and because stevie ray actually became like a a funny commentator like not good but like you can see the ways in which she helped both stevie ray and booker t find themselves and it seems like by all accounts like you said she was like such a great person to work with like when you had sherry with you you knew I'm going to get over if I put in my half. Like, she will not let you down. She will always be there to pick up the other side of the board you're trying to carry. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I think that, you know, she was, it's like a, it's kind of a dated compliment, I guess, because the world has changed a lot. But like, you know, when you hear wrestlers talk, they always say that the phrase is always that like Sherry was one of the boys in a way that like, like uh, JR always talks about like back in the territorial days that like, there was often a lot of friction between male and female wrestlers because if they were bringing in the women for a loop, that meant there were fewer spots on the card for men. You know what I mean? And so the attitude was like, ah, what are these broads doing coming through, taking all the work or whatever. But like, there's like zero of that with Sherry. Like in spite of, like people were predispositioned to, to dislike wrestlers who ran with Moolah. And yet Sherry is like one of the most universally loved people in the history of the wrestling business. I think when we say that she was one of the boys, we mean she was accepted as a part of the troop. We mean it in the way that Becky Lynch means that she's the man. Does that make sense? Like, and I think that's what Becky, I'm sorry, what Sherry, like that's almost in the same like evolution. I hate to like, I don't mean that, like wink wink nudge nudge but like the evolution of a female performer from sherry is the like the ancestor from which a character like becky comes where it's an understanding that you are just as valuable to this show as any of the guys on it whether like and not because you're a woman but because you're a great performer period like is your role in this case in sherry's case in particular more like um gendered absolutely but like she it's not just maximizing minutes it's it's showing that there's value for female performers outside of being a valet there's value in the ring there's value as managers and as important people on the show and that's where you get to someone like becky it's not somebody like liz as great as liz was yeah you know what you just got me thinking as you were saying that like if you take harlem heat with sherry and you contrast it with doom with woman with nancy sullivan uh, you know, you can see, like you say, this clear line of evolution where you have like a Liz or a Nancy, where it's like Liz is, like we said, the, the pure, the regulator, the, 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 she's the piece of sandpaper that's trying to take all the rough edges off the macho man, right? On the other hand, you have, uh, you have, you have woman who someone, I, I won't quote exactly how they once summarized the woman character to me, but it was perfect and deeply offensive. Um, but, uh, the, the, but, but the, like you have woman who is like the stereotypical, like evil woman. And like, there, there's this, like we talked about in the past with the Jim Cornette thing being kind of homophobic initially, like with doom, there's the like Southern wrestling heat of like two big black guys and like kind of a smaller, uh, model looking 
woman, but then you get like same company less than a decade later with Sherry and Harlem Heat. It's crazy to see how different Sherry and Harlem Heat are from like Doom and Woman. And I think you're right. Be like, it, it just is this clear, this clear kind of, she's an important step that I think until recently was maybe kind of like overlooked in, in the history of like the evolution of, of women as important parts of the show. Yeah. She is a main eventer. She is a whatever you want to determine first ballot. She is like a Mount Rushmore uh, Hall of Famer as far as I'm concerned uh, in terms of her impact on the business, especially for half. What's going to end up being half of the business when all is said and done in terms of women performers. Like she is a true pioneer. And I think that's like, I think pretty unequivocally, she's the best thing to come out of Moolah's troop, right? I'm not missing anybody that's like on that was secretly one of Mula's students. And then like, I will not have you disparage the good goddamn name of Donna Christian. <laughs> uh, fuck you, Dave. I, I will do whatever I want. I, I had to sit through several glamor girls tag matches. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Judy Martin was a good worker in her day. Her day just was not 1986. <laughs> You have to ask the question, because obviously she's the best to come out of the Moolah troop, but someone like Liz, what is Liz's legacy in the context of Sherry's? In terms of how do you evaluate Liz when you have a performer like Sherry? Well, I think that Liz was part of a specific act. Randy and Liz were an act. And there were times where she was with the mega powers and there were times when she was kind of optically with Hogan too. Um, but I think that Sherry on the other hand was a manager and the acts were lucky to have her, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think it's a totally different relationship. And I think that both of them are valuable. Like I'll think of like Elizabeth, like even a heel version of that, like precious or sunshine, right. From like, uh, uh, or Maria Canellis on the um, on the Indies did a great job with Mike Canellis uh, building his character up through a like an evil version of Liz. Yeah, gorgeous Jimmy Garvin was the name I was trying to think of. Sorry. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, of course. Jimmy Jam, the best, the best creamer. Uh, but but no, like I, I think that both of those are one of the things that's great about wrestling is there are so many different roles to play, and I think that both of those roles are super important in their own place, and both of those women were super important to the history of wrestling in about the same moment. If I'm starting a wrestling company tomorrow and I have a time machine, I want Sherry, and I don't particularly care if, like, you know, if Liz works for me, that's great, I guess, but I actively want Sherry. Yeah, she's a top draft pick from that era in a way that you kind of, like you'll look at a player from the eighties and you're like, Oh, you're 10 years ahead of your time. And that's basically what Sherry was. She was 10, maybe 20 years ahead of her time. And I, I guess now that we've solved uh, Liz's, cause I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I really don't have anything to add to that. Now that we've solved, I think the distinction between Liz and Sh Sherry's legacy, I, I have a question that I've been thinking about this entire time is, which is how much different do you think Sherry's career would have been, let's say 10 and 20. And what do you think her legacy would be now? If like, where do you think she could have went if wrestling American wrestling went the way of Japanese wrestling? Wow. I think she would have been like a key staple, or I think she would have been a top act for a lot of years. And then I think, uh, I think she would have become kind of an important gatekeeper type figure. I think that the role that she played in WCW as a manager was actually kind of very similar to almost like a, like a William Regal. You know what I mean? Like so, someone who beating them meant something and beating them was a step towards becoming a really respected singles act. I think she would have been really, really good at that, at just making people, at helping people, at, at, at helping other people without hurting herself at all. You know what I mean? Like, I think that she would have been really, really great at that. I think that, like, just the other day they announced that Tori Wilson is going into the Hall of Fame. And, like, while I've said before that, like, uh, Sherry has, like, an undeniable power on screen and, and was, like, a sexually empowered woman in the world of wrestling, which is, like, kind of a rare thing in any legitimate form prior to very recently. You know what I mean? And, like... But at the same time, like, I don't know, like early 2000s, like if, if you've got Tori Wilson in there, like I think I think Sherry's career probably would have come to an end around the same time as it did just because of the way that like 
Vince's hiring practices were changing and the, the idea of what it meant to be a diva. You know what I mean? Like she was a woman's wrestler. She would not have worked for a second in the era of divas, but she would work today. And, and you know, in, in a healthier environment, she, she definitely could have worked in her own time in the 80s and 90s. If you look at the divas era, which I, I think is a pretty succinct way to put the like late 90s through early 2010s era of women's wrestling uh, in terms of mainstream American wrestling, the, or at least if you depending on how you feel about TNA, your mileage may vary on TNA, who, who had the knockout division, which was a real women's division. But if you look at the WWE, I think there was this idea that you could turn models into wrestlers, even if they weren't wrestling fans. And I think that that's entirely possible to do with people who love the sport. But I think wrestling has become so specialized that you needed to have performers who were dedicated in the way that there's not that there's anything wrong with Tori Wilson trying to build a career in WWE and then turn that into something else. But like, if you want long-term stars with the company, that's not the way to do it. You want people who are wrestling schools and build yourself up that way. And there's all different walks of people that can be in the WWE. I'm not saying that, but when your primary way of getting talent is going she's pretty i don't know if she's ever watched wrestling it's kind of there's going to be a lot more failures and people like tori wilson that are going to get out and strive and become something aren't necessarily going to do that in the wwe they're going to do that because the wwe gave them a platform to show oh she's a good actress or she's good on television she's great at presenting there was a different mindset than there is with a bailey or a sasha where ever since they were little kids, this is what they wanted to do. And I think in general, that is the best way to get talent is people who are physically talented enough to do the job, but also have this desire that I don't think what that you had with someone like Sherry, but you didn't necessarily have with a lot of the divas where it seemed like there was a real, I'm using this to become something else and good on them because the WWE was not equipped to deal with telling real stories about the lives of women and women characters at the time. So like good. No, they, they were literally offering them. We can get you into Playboy, we think. Yeah, it was like the one and done system now in college basketball. Just like they were basically doing the John Calipari thing of like, I'm here to like get to the next level so I can get out of here. And everybody's okay with that. That's like the understanding. And I don't think that's good for the long-term success of a wrestling company, but it's great for the success of the performers. And I am always on the side of performers. So like, I don't begrudge any divas performer from doing anything like that. But like, you have to look at the environment and the WWE, which is not an environment where someone who was worried about being able to be the best bumper on the show thriving in a way that was going to really like make her career meaningful. But if I'm telling you right now, if Sherry came out now, she'd be a top performer. Just be, she'd be Nikki cross basically, but like an older, I think like a more successful version of Nikki cross where it's like, she's really great at taking a shit kicking and she's really great at looking tough for the first half of the match before you really get into the shit kicking part. So did you have anything to plug this week, David? Well, as usual, people should follow me on Twitter at DaveWritesJunk. They should obviously follow the podcast account at H-W-E-T-W-Pod. They should check out the uh, Moolah column that we discussed earlier that I wrote almost exactly a year ago or a year ago next week uh, on the wrestling estate if you want some more kind of background uh, on this episode, if you were really interested, especially in kind of the subject matter early on, or if you're a newer fan and kind of wondering what we're talking about, uh, I definitely point you in that direction. We have tons of good roundtables, you know, lists that people are hurt for being left off of. Uh, we talked about Big Show. We talked about our favorite title belts recently. Uh, so, so all sorts of really, really great fun wrestling content over there at the Wrestling Estate. Also, uh, I guess we'll uh, we'll give the Hell Yeah Babies and Mark Masick a plug right now, too, since they are our favorites consistently. Uh, you know, you should go uh, check out the Hell Yeah Babies album on Bandcamp, and you should uh, buy Mark Masick's books, Kaboom and Kaboom 2, on Amazon. Yeah, um, we will also probably be having both of those nice gentlemen on the show in the next month or two, so that's something to look forward to. Uh, we will be having Mark back on to talk about Kaboom 2, so buy it and read it so I don't have to. <laughs> or you're not gonna know what we're talking about and it's gonna be it's gonna be real awkward for you. Everybody else is gonna be having this great intellectual conversation. <laughs> you're not gonna even know who the Thunder Man is. 
Yeah, and you can check me out at the Nixter. That's T H E and one C K S T E R. You can check us out at HowWrestlingExplains.Podbean.com. You can also rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and the Google Play Store. <sighs> you can uh, you should subscribe to the YouTube channel because we are going to be rolling out um, the night uh, the day of Fast Lane and going forward uh, a couple every couple of days, and then we're going to take a break and then release another couple every couple of days uh, of uh, excerpts with some fun video bumpers um, from the show to definitely check out. And we're also going to be working on some longer form videos, but we wanted to put some stuff on there for people to so you can share it with your friends and stuff like that. Yeah, that's exactly what I was about to say, Nick, because I think that this is going to be, you know, if you've been, if you've been hoping to, to tell people about the show or kind of, you know, share some of the cool stuff that you uh, really enjoyed on here, I think this is going to be a really, really great way uh, to do it, where it benefits all of us. You can, you can revisit some of our best conversations without having, you know, re-download the episodes and fast forward to, and they're also super duper, you know, shareable, in, in which case everybody wins. I also want to take this opportunity to uh, remind people to rate and review this podcast uh, in uh, iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called these days. Obviously, five stars is preferable, but, you know, we can live with like 4.9 or something like that. Uh, we'll, we'll round it up and uh, love you anyway. But it would be really, really super helpful if, uh, if, if we could get that number up at least to like 25 five-star reviews. Uh, sometime in the next couple months, maybe uh, in the next couple of weeks, I'll I'll be announcing some sort of incentive, something something that all of you can get if you help us out by you know just sacrificing one or two minutes of your time to write us a little five star review there in iTunes because it really really does help uh, more people jump on the train. You know, it helps us uh, build uh, build credibility so that we can you know ask businesses from their for their money rather than you the listener directly. So uh, it's really an everybody wins proposition. So please, please, please make sure that you uh, that you rate and review us on iTunes. And if we get to that 25 number, uh, maybe we'll be unlocking some Patreon content for everybody. Maybe. We'll talk about it more specifically in a couple of weeks. And uh, where you can find us talking about it in a couple of weeks will be on the show or also at HWETWPod, which is our Twitter account. Do not forget to follow that. Um, so I guess uh, I have to ask what I always ask, which is uh, any pocket cast news, Dave? Uh, you know what? There is a little bit of a blackout. I think I told you last week that my my contacts over there aren't what they they once were. I think that you know I used to have a lot of goose with with Hank Pocket Cast, but um, Keenan is a powerful man. You know, you, he really <laughs> you know he he carries it so lightly. You just think that that you know. I don't even know what you'd think he was. Just a big marshmallow, just a wonderful guy. But he is litigious. Um, I guess I would have to ask, what's up with that? Thank you.